This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Kay and Jay gave Joyful Courage a five-star review and said that it is a must-read for all parents. Casey outdid herself with this wonderful book, which gives you real-life scenarios, her own life experiences, and different outcomes to make sure you always have an avenue to help you on this journey. While reading her book, you will constantly shake your head yes to many things she is sharing. This book helps you think outside the box from different angles to help you think from your child's point of view with proper cause in addition to making you look inside yourself to see what your triggers are and why you react to different things. Parents, we've got this and Casey truly helps us in this incredible life we all have. I'm super excited to let you know that Joyful Courage, Calming the Drama and Taking Control of Your Parenting Journey will soon be out in audiobook format through Audible. Stay tuned for more details. Hey, podcast listeners, welcome to Joyful Courage. I'm so glad that you're here and listening. Joyful Courage is a conscious parenting podcast, a place where I like to bring information and inspiration to the parenting journey. I'm your host, Casey, Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, I'm a parent coach. But most importantly, I am a fellow traveler on the journey of parenting. I am thrilled, thrilled, thrilled that you're listening in. This show is all about stepping into the personal growth and development that is always waiting for us here in this era of being mothers, of being fathers, of loving the kids that we have while staying lovingly detached from what's showing up in their lives. I know that sounds weird, right? Being detached. Telling you, it'll change your life if you can do it. Uh, The show is designed to offer you guidance. You can take it. You can leave it. It's a buffet of information. Just listen right? Just listen, create your own value, listen for nuggets that land for you. And if something doesn't, just leave it behind. It's all good. I would love to know what you think. I have many communities that you can join. You can follow me on Instagram or Facebook. You can join in the conversation at Live and Love with Joyful Courage on Facebook or Joyful Courage for Parents of 
teenagers on Facebook. So I love to be in conversation with my listeners, knowing what's going on in your life and bringing some of what you desire most challenges that you are currently facing, bringing them onto the podcast, bringing them into these conversations so that I can be in service to you. I really hope that you enjoy this show and I'm confident that you will. Hi listeners. My guest today is Wendy Bertnall. Wendy is a lover of chocolate, lifter of heavyweights, believer in wearing yoga clothes most every day, and a mother of three kids. She works with moms who are frustrated with their children's behavior, helping them to once again enjoy motherhood and their kids. With an undergrad degree in child development and a master's in special education, Wendy has taken what she's learned while raising her kids to serve others. Wendy knows that not every child shows up 100% happy and willing to cooperate every moment of the day. Hmm, yeah. (laughs) which can be frustrating. She believes every behavior is a form of communication and her mission is to help every parent understand what their child is communicating through their behavior. Wendy's work is so aligned with the mission of Joyful Courage and I'm thrilled to have some time to talk with her today. Hi, Wendy. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Casey. Thanks so much for having me here. I am so happy to be here and sharing this message with you because it is just so important. Yeah. Please share a little bit about your journey of doing what you do? Well, it started when I became a mom almost 13 years ago. And I'll have to say, I came into parenting feeling like I had these rose-colored glasses. I don't know if anybody else does that, but pretty much I thought it was (laughs) awesome. (laughs) And honestly, with my first child, things went really well. And I can look back now and say it wasn't because of anything I was doing. It was because of who he was. And then my second child did not align with any textbook that I had read. And at that time, I had my master's degree in special education. I really thought that I knew it all. And I was like, what in the world? Why am I fighting all the time with my second child? Why did I turn into this horrible parent that I never thought that I would be? Um, I started having anxiety attacks. I started feeling depressed. It was just not a good time of life. And then my third child came along and things just were not getting better. And I realized that something really needed to change. And the thing that needed to change was me and my understanding of why things were happening. And so one day I picked up a book about sensory processing and I just had tears streaming down my face as I realized that was the reason that my son was so difficult in air quotes, why we were struggling so much and why he was acting the way he was, was rooted in sensory processing. And it changed the way that I parented from then on out. And for the last four and a half years, it's been my mission now to help other parents understand how sensory processing affects their kids' behavior too, so they can stop fighting it and start working with it, which is drastic change. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a huge an important mindset shift. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I did have a guest on, listeners will remember last June, that spoke about sensory, but, you know, and I was telling Wendy at the beginning before I hit record, I thought we were having the conversation that you and I are going to have today, last June, but really the conversation turned into really about energetic sensory in our kids as, you know, more of empaths and which was a fantastic conversation. I'm glad that we got to have it, but I'm also really excited to talk about sensory systems in the context 
that you're bringing. So I'm going to just have you tease it apart for us. What are you referencing when talking about sensory systems? Definitely. And I'm glad we're bringing this distinction in at the beginning because I think there's this misunderstanding of the sensory system. A lot of times we think of sensory as just something that kids with autism have or just something that people have who have problems. But really, we all have a sensory system and we haven't learned really much about it. We know see, hear, taste, touch, smell, Mm-hmm. But there's two more systems that nobody else really talks about, which is proprioception and vestibular. And all of these sensory systems come together to help us experience the world around us. And it dictates how we respond to it. So when we have a teenager who is 13 and still a super picky eater, we realize it's no longer a phase and there's nothing on the face of the earth that we can do about it. We can look back and say, okay, why are they a picky eater? It's not just who they are, them trying to be stubborn or anything like that. There's truly something behind it. And what is it in the sensory system that's, a, that's causing them to be a picky eater and how can we support that? So it's not because I did a really bad job of exposing them to a variety of different kinds of food. Are you giving me permission to let myself off the hook here, Wendy? So exciting. Absolutely. I feel like the first three and a half years of my son's life was me feeling guilty about not being able to change his behavior. And in reality, it's Yes, we can have effect. We can have an effect on our kids' behavior, right? For better or for worse. But until we understand the sensory system, we just don't get a full picture of how we can truly support them. So, absolutely, Casey, you're off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you said there was the five sensories, right? Like the ones mm-hmm. we know, and then there's two others. Okay, so let's imagine this. I like to think of all of us as having seven cups inside of us. Each cup represents a sensory system. Okay. All of our cups are different sizes. So some of us have super small ones, like as big as a shot glass, some like even as big as a thimble. Then other senses are massive, like those big gulp 7-Eleven gigantic cups that you can just fill so much stuff in. The size of the cup determines how much stimulation in that area that our body can accept. So... For example, with vision, people with a big vision cup would be the ones who love a lot of light. They don't need a lot of, they don't get overwhelmed by a lot of light. Whereas a person with a small visual cup is going to be overwhelmed by fluorescent lights or by the TV if they're in front of it for too long. Or like my son, if he's in the sun for too long, he gets a migraine. So that's Mm -hmm. a small visual cup. Hearing is the same thing. A lot of moms have small hearing cups. We get overwhelmed by a lot of noise. We can't drown out background noise. We can't drown out crying. Um, But people with a big hearing cup would be ones who like to have a lot of music on, or they can drown out noise around them, or things don't bother them. Sounds don't bother them. Taste is the same thing. Kids with a big taste cup would be ones who like a lot of flavor, spice, whatever. Small taste cup would be would be ones who prefer like bland food. So again, picky eaters could be avoiding the taste thing. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So I'll keep going with the rest of them just really yeah, quick. Yeah. So the touch sense is a big one and it's how we feel things on our body, like on our skin. So people with a small touch cup would be ones who can feel the tags on the back of their shirts or they're picky about how their socks feel mm-hmm. or they only like to wear soft clothes. Whereas the big touch cup people would be ones who walk through Target and touch everything on the shelves after you've asked them five million times not to. 
<laughs> right? And then the smell cup, I think every woman who's ever been pregnant understands what it's like to have a small smell cup where you gag at the smallest smell that nobody else even recognizes. Mm-hmm which can also affect picky eating, as we know, if we've ever been pregnant, right? Large smell cups would be like my sister who smells everything before she puts it in her mouth. And she's not a two-year-old. She's a 30-something-year-old. You know, we just have these things that we naturally gravitate towards to either fill our cups or keep our cups from overflowing. The two that are lesser known are the proprioception and vestibular cup. And these are actually huge when it comes to understanding kids who are labeled as wild or aggressive or can't sit still. So proprioception has to do with... Wait, say that word again. Proprioception. Proprioception. Okay. Yeah. We can write it down for sure. I am. (laughs) Proprioception. Okay. Yes. And that has to do with activating the, well, our proprioceptive receptors are inside of our joints all over our body. Anytime Mm -hmm. our joints are stimulated, anytime they're moved, it activates that sense. So kids who like a lot of movement and a lot of pressure, those are the ones with massive proprioceptive cups. So for instance, sometimes there'll be kids who are always moving. They're always on the go or they don't ever sit still in their chairs. Well, they just have big proprioceptive cups Mm. or the kids who do things harder than they mean to. Like the 15 year old, who's just like a big teddy bear. That's what I remember calling a friend of mine when I was little. He's this gigantic guy and everything he did was super hard. You give him a hug, you know, you're going to get a bear hug. You give, he gives you a tap on the shoulder. It's going to be more like a slap Mm -hmm. and he doesn't do it intentionally. It's just, he's filling his proprioceptive cup. Mm. Vestibular has to do with our body being in motion. So spinning, twirling, running, any of those things. Kids who get car sick easily would be ones with a small vestibular cup or ones who don't like spinning or going on roller coasters, whatever. They have small vestibular cups and they'll avoid those things. But a large vestibular cup would be kids who are constantly in motion again, like flipping, twirling, spinning. They love the gymnastics or swimming or ninja or whatever those things are that really activate that vestibular sense and fill up that vestibular cup. Okay, so let's go over those two one more time, just because I want to get clear on the distinction and I want listeners to be really clear. So the proprioception awesome. cup, right? Thank you. Yes. Um, in the joints and it's about, so and it's it's not movement or it is movement? This is where the two kind of- Do they overlap a little bit? Overlap, okay. yeah. Because a lot of times you're getting vestibular and proprioceptive- and okay. tactile and seeing and hearing, you know, there's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. bombarding in all senses, but yeah. So the vestibular receptors, I didn't say this. So thank you for clarifying Casey. Mm-hmm. Um, the vestibular receptors are in the inner ear. And I don't know if you ever remember looking at a diagram of the ear and we have that fluid in the inner ear with those little hairs, mm-hmm. weird things, right? Anytime that fluid tilts, that activates the vestibular sense. So anything that would make that tilt, so tilting your head back and forth or running would definitely do that. But the body being in motion would be the vestibular sense, the pounding on our joints and the feedback that our joints are getting from running would be proprioception. Okay. Got it. Oh my gosh. This is fascinating. Isn't it so cool? And it's fun. Once you start getting down this rabbit hole, you can see why a lot of people do the things that they do. So for instance, my husband, he has a huge proprioceptive cup, which means that 
it helps us understand why he has to go to the gym every day. Truly, mm-hmm. he has to go to the gym every day because it helps to calm his body. It fills his proprioceptive cup so that he can sit in his chair and work during the day at the office. If he doesn't get that, he's anxious, he's irritable. He's not himself because his cup is empty. When our cups are too full or too empty, that's when we get into fight, flight, or freeze or just irritability mode. And we want to avoid that. So we can start to understand other people and the reason that they do the things that they do. Not because they have autism, but because they have a sensory system. That's so interesting. I'm thinking about my son who's now 13. And when he was little, (laughs) he was one of those kids, right? Who couldn't stop. Like he just didn't ever want to stop moving. And if we were, even if we tried to like watch something, if there was music or if there was this opportunity or any kind of prompt to move, even on a screen, he'd be up and moving. And even now at 13, I mean, you know, the whole phone thing, he can totally self-medicate with that and stay on the couch. However, what he really ultimately wants to do is he wants to be out in the world, interacting, moving his body. Um, And I think that it's such an interesting conversation to recognize, you know, that we all have various, I love the, I love the visual of the cups. Hey friends, as a podcast listener myself, I always get so excited to share when I find a new show that I think is super useful. So today I want to tell you about Understood Explains. This is a podcast that tackles one important topic per season. And this season is all about navigating individualized education plans and is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. Getting the support our kids need in school can feel tricky, and we aren't always sure what it is that they need. When I listened to the episode titled, Does My Child Need an IEP? It offered up so much useful information that I could really see supporting parents who are in this consideration. The host is so knowledgeable and really breaks down the content in a way that helps listener go from completely overwhelmed to actually starting to feel empowered. Other episodes in the series highlight the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, as well as a whole episode that busts common myths about special education. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Understood Explains. So check it out. You won't be sorry. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God. Spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well-being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. 
That's code JOYFUL50 at factormeals.com slash JOYFUL50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, and do you think like, so you mentioned being pregnant and certain smells, ew, gross. But when I'm not pregnant, I'm not, I can really take in all different kinds of smells. And the same with like, I love listening to music and hearing a lot of music. But as soon as I drive into like a busy city that I'm unfamiliar with or a parking lot, I have to turn down the music. Yes. So this is an interesting thing that I love explaining to parents. And this is, it makes so much sense. So stress can shrink our cups. So it sounds like you have like an average size auditory cup, right? You can can, tolerate hearing, (laughs) right? And you're like, you're you're average. But when you're under stress or when you have to focus, it's going to shrink. And your body's saying, uh, sorry, I need to focus all my attention on not crashing or whatever it is. And everything is going to shrink. So you probably are a little bit more sensitive to the sunlight in that time. You're probably a little, your senses are heightened, right? So you can only tolerate a little bit. Oh my gosh. Can I just connect some more dots that's happening for me right now? So I also notice I can be really um, easygoing about clutter. Mm -hmm. But if I start to look around, like I know I'm going to come back to screens because that's the latest thing that's been on my mind is our screen use. But when all of a sudden I notice everyone on the screens and I start to feel stress around that, I'm also like, and look at all the freaking clutter in this house. Like it immediately, so it's a sensory thing and connected to stress. Absolutely. Absolutely. Isn't it so interesting? And it just goes to show how our body determines a lot of the behaviors that we're having. If you know now that when you get stressed, you're going to be more irritable around vision and hearing and whatever else you might be triggered by, you can say, okay, it's not that all of a sudden my house is a disaster and my kids are horrible and everything is too loud. It's that I can no longer tolerate Mm -hmm. these things. So you can know how to set yourself up for success. So for instance, I do the same thing, Casey, when I'm driving, I cannot have any background noise if it's a stressful driving situation. (laughs) So I'll just tell my kids and it's so powerful. Listen to this. I'll just tell them, you guys, my ears can't handle noise right now. Mm -hmm. So I need everything to be quiet and they get it because I'm not saying you guys need to be quiet. I, I can't deal with you guys right now. It's not me or them. It's my ears Mm -hmm. truly can't handle it. Mm -hmm. And it's so powerful to be able to talk about our bodies like that because then we're not just saying, I don't like this food. I don't like the way the house looks. The house is always messy. We're not blaming it. We're truly internalizing it and putting the meaning on what is really happening. Got it. That is so useful. So how does sensory affect, I mean, we just talked about how it affects my behavior, but so how is it, you know, what are some things that you find working with clients that are behaviors that are showing up that really come back to this sensory piece? Hmm, So many things, but anytime a child is adamantly refusing something or they're really digging in their heels or they're constantly trying to get something, um, whether it's movement, like you said, with your son Hmm. or whether, um, like I have a friend whose teenage daughter was always, um, 
she had a hard time paying attention in school. And they were looking at labels of ADD or ADHD or what's going on with her. You know, how can we fix this? Well, what we found out is that she has a small hearing cup and a large proprioceptive cup. So noises around her were really distracting to her and her body needed movement. So sitting in a noisy classroom all day was like the worst thing that they could possibly do. Yes. Hello, typical high school environment. (laughs) Totally. Right. So the interesting thing is, is we found out that we could put her towards the front of the class. It's a little bit, she could be closer to the teacher so she doesn't have to drown out as much noise. And chewing gum actually activates the proprioceptive sense because you're activating your jaw. Mm. the joints in your jaw. So it's calming her body. It's filling her proprioceptive cup while she's sitting in a chair. And we're able to support her to be able to pay attention in class. So anytime there's something that you just feel like my kid isn't getting it, they're always refusing this or they're always doing this. And you've tried everything like punishing, grounding, whatever you try to do, ignoring it. And none of that works. It's probably a sensory thing. Well, and what I really am appreciating about this conversation, Wendy, is that there's nothing wrong with our kids. Totally. And like the story you just shared, you know, I think it I think that it takes really enlightened grown-ups and we're all moving in that direction. Of course, all of my listeners are incredibly enlightened, as are you and I. Um, <laughs> but you know, it takes an enlightened adult to shift from uh, why can't this girl just get it together and pay attention? This is what we do in high school to being really curious and looking for a solution that works for her to be in the classroom while meeting her sensory needs. I just think that it's so respectful. Yes. It's so and respectful. Think of how empowering it is to teach our kids these things from such a young age so that they then know as adults how they can function their best in the world, right? Yeah. So like I remember um, all growing up, I hated having my hands dry or my feet dry. Like I just couldn't stand it. I didn't know why. Dry, like flaky dry or like not wet? Like like dry, like flaky dry or dry like if I have sand or dirt on my feet, mm-hmm. like I'm going to freak out. <laughs> you sound like my daughter. <laughs> right? My daughter has the same thing. So I remember one time I was 17. I was not a two-year-old. And we had played sand ball, volleyball as a family. It was a super fun experience. And coming, coming out of the sand onto the dry cement with my bare feet, all of a sudden I was just like, oh. <gasps> oh my gosh, I can't handle this. And I had no idea why, but all I could focus on was I need to clean my feet. I need to clean my feet. My family wanted to go out to ice cream and do all these fun things. And I just shut down. And I'm sure my parents were like, oh, teenage hormones, like, hello, Mm -hmm. she's having a mood swing. Yeah. And I remember looking back on that now, understanding sensory, like all I needed to do was go to a bathroom and wash off my feet and the tantrum would have been over, but there were so many other ways that they could have looked at it, which I'm sure we all did, but it now makes sense. So understanding our bodies and the way that they function best, it just puts us, it sets us up for success in the future to deal with all of our little I don't know, quirks, I guess you could call them or sensory preferences that we all know that we have. So do you, you know, there's a lot written and talked about with the uptick in anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of factors here. I think that, you know, the fact that our kids have, you know, basically their entire school career have lived through active shooter drills. I think that, you know, social, you know, the prevalence of social media, 
hasn't helped. There's uh, there's things, right, in the environment that are definitely contributing. But do you think that there's also, you know, some answers in recognizing our sensory preference to 100%. the anxiety? Yeah, will you talk a little bit about that? I know I'm going off script here, but... Oh, it's fine. That's <laughs> all you want. <laughs> Absolutely. Because when our cups are overflowing or underfilled, mm-hmm. it puts us into a survival mode, which is fight, flight, or freeze. And it can often um, just trigger really strong emotions. Now imagine a child who's, okay, let's say a 15-year-old who doesn't understand what's happening inside their body to cause these mood swings or to cause these different things. They're in this constant state of like, how can I protect myself? Mm-hmm. Well, if they don't know what's going on, they don't know how to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. They just know what people are projecting onto them, that you're moody or you're really mean or you you can't pay attention. Mm-hmm. And absolutely that would increase their anxiety about who they are and how they can quote unquote fix themselves mm-hmm. when they don't even know really what's wrong or why they're doing it. That's so interesting. And I'm thinking about a recent situation. We had gone just last weekend, we had gone to the movies. It was like seven o'clock movie. And by the time we came out of the movie, there was this like epic lightning storm happening. And um, my daughter had just gotten a new kitten. And um, we were driving, as we were driving home, the lightning storm, which was like not every couple minutes. I mean, it was like every 20, 30 seconds, there was this huge flash of lights. There's this visual experience, right? And then it just, we finally got close enough and we drove into the storm. And so then it was just this pounding rain on the car. And um, all of a sudden my daughter said, you know, to my son, she's like, do you have your ear pods and he did. So he gave them to her and she put in her the ear pods and turned on music and covered her eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know she was worried about her kitty and just there was like sensory overload was happening for her. And I was, I thought it was so cool that she was able to recognize there are things I can do in this moment to change the experience that I'm having, or at least alter the experience that she was having. Now she was still stressed on the way home. Mm-hmm. But she, you know, didn't have to listen. She blocked out the sound of the rain and blocked out the visuals of the lightning. And I think that that really supported her in coming home and walking in the house and not feeling like a crazy person. Totally. So that's called sensory regulation, which Mm -hmm. is just a big fancy word for um, making sure that your small cups are not overflowing and your big cups are full. And so I love that example because it showed that she had smaller cups or her cups were overflowing in that moment. And she was able to say, okay, enough. I'm going to cover my ears. I'm not accepting any more visual stimulation. I'm going to put soft, calm, or whatever happy music. I'm I'm pretty sure that (laughs) I'd have to ask her, but I'm pretty (laughs) sure she put on some like wretched rap music, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. It made her happy, right? (laughs) And it was music that her body wanted to be able to calm down. So she was making sure her cups were not completely overflowing by the time she got home. That is sensory regulation, just regulating the cups. Well, and I think, yeah, yeah. I think too, I'm curious too, you know, and when our kids are young, we're paying attention and noticing and offering, you know, and, and creating solutions for them, hopefully. When they become teenagers, it's so easy to misread what's happening 
and and I'm I'm guessing it probably can start when they're younger as well. But how do we support our kids? And you know, because we're ha- there's the, there's having an experience, and then there's observing that you're having an experience, right. right? And I think that a lot of childhood is in the first camp. It's having the experiences, being in the experience. So how do we? What are some things that you do or coach people to do as far as supporting our kids? in creating that outside observer of recognizing, oh, I'm, I'm having this experience mm-hmm. so that they can so, step into that sensory, like recognize like, oh, I need to do some, you know, I mean, they wouldn't use these, this language, but like, oh, sensory right. regulation would be useful right now. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I love that, you know, they probably won't use that language, but we know our kids best. And so one of the first things that I teach parents to do is have an open conversation about sensory preferences mm-hmm. and talk about everybody's sensory cups. And the cool thing about it is, is when you talk about everybody's sensory cups, it levels the playing field. So nobody is weird for, you know, having to have the AirPods in their ears Mm -hmm. or nobody's weird for not liking the, the sight of the lightning, Mm -hmm. Um, that we all have our little preferences. And once we understand those, we can then step into supporting them. And some of the things I like to do is give parents language around how to support it. So, you know, in that example, um, with your daughter, she could have just said, my ears and my ears and my eyes need a break right now. Mm -hmm. And everybody can respect that. You know, we can Mm -hmm. talk about our bodies as a sensory system. We can say my, my body needs to run right now. My daughter, the other day, she's seven and she tried to tell me that her body needed sugar. (laughs) And that was a little bit much, but (laughs) (laughs) my body needs ice cream right now, mom. (laughs) Totally. My body needs chocolate all the time. (laughs) I totally get it. (laughs) But when we can start speaking to what our bodies need, it's, it's so much more empowering for kids to be able to step into that different role. Like you said, of not just being the experiencer Mm -hmm. of these experiences around us, but truly being like, I get what's happening. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it all the time in my students. I have one student who's, um, her, her daughter's 12. And she has understood and talked about the sensory system for two years now in their home, just as a regular thing, just like we would, you know, like I have a cut on my arm or, you know, my eyes need glasses, whatever. Why can't we talk about our sensory system that way? But she stepped into this phase where she can now understand other people's sensory preferences too. So it's, it's really an evolution that especially teenagers, they can catch on to really fast. Oh yeah. And I think that my daughter has a heightened sense of other people and their experience, Mm -hmm. which is a blessing, you know, it's a blessing and it's also a curse. Um, Because sometimes during the teen years, I think it's easier to be kind of on the surface, right? I think that when there's a lot of depth that starts to show up and you look around you at all these dysregulated humans, (laughs) you know, and the drama and everything, it's like, it's, it can be overwhelming. So I have a question um, about resiliency. Mm-hmm. So we all have these cups and we have various degrees, size, what we can handle, tolerate was the word that you used. And so where does resiliency and developing resiliency fit into this conversation? It's a great question. And I like to think of resilience as being able to go through difficult things mm-hmm. and come out on the other side. Mm-hmm. So if we can there's, I would say there's two phases to be able to be resilient with our sensory preferences. And first is to recognize what they are and how they affect us. So just like you did, you know, you, mm-hmm. you said, 
when I get stressed, my hearing cup shrinks and my visual cup shrinks. So being aware of that definitely helps us to be able to go through those tough times when you're feeling super stressed and yelling at all of your kids for the disasters and for the messes that they're making. Or just simply <laughs> walking into an airport with my family. Oh yeah. Like that alone. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anyway, side note. Visual overload. Oh yeah. Oh, gosh. Huge. Yeah. It's giving you anxiety just thinking about it. (laughs) I totally get it. So being aware of them and then trying to be proactive to support ourselves through those situations. So maybe you could take a tip from your daughter and get some AirPods, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but your kids on leashes, you know, they wouldn't go on leashes, but you know, like do your best to protect yourself so that, you know, I am going to go into a, a stressful situation. How can I set myself up and my kids up for success? So that, and then also giving ourselves grace Mm -hmm. afterwards. Mm -hmm. So when we know that we've lost it because our visual cup was overflowing and our hearing cup was overflowing and it was stressful and it was an airport, we can look back and say, you know what? I see how I could have done things different and giving ourselves grace for that. I think those two things are really powerful. Yeah. I'm wondering too where, and this might have more to do with stress than it does the sensory piece. So I just bought The Self-Driven Child. I don't know if you've read that book. I would love to tell you who wrote it, but it's upstairs. It'll be in the show notes, (laughs) listeners. And I'm I'm, I'm on page like 19, right? And it's already, I'm just blown away by how aligned I am with what these authors are writing about, which is really, and I'm not going to do it justice because again, I'm on page 19, but they talk about that sense of control and when that's missing, you know, and so I'm guessing that's where the stress comes in. We're, we're missing this sense of control. And so our stress is higher. And so our tolerance for sensory preferences gets shifted. Feel like you're the martyr in your family. You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. 
Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Absolutely. So the cool thing about this is um, control, power, all of those things are certain traits that we would see in a child who has a really difficult time regulating their senses on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So they tend to be the kids who are labeled as um, defiant or manipulative or controlling or um, really powerful, right? Mm -hmm. But really what it is, is they're trying to control as much of their environment as possible Mm -hmm. Because they are never knowing when their environment is going to control their body. So they are they are regulating. Like so their regulation absolutely. comes through this need to control. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the cool thing is too, when we prepare our bodies, when we know that we're stepping into something that's going to offset our sensory system we can prepare our cups for it. And I don't know if this really fits into the analogy, but it's almost like if the preparation can kind of increase our cup size, Mm -hmm. if stress shrinks them, preparation increases them. So for instance, a child who has a small auditory cup can be loud and can listen to loud music on their own terms Mm -hmm. when they're in control of it. Because when it gets to be too much, they're in control, they can turn it off. Mm -hmm. But if somebody else makes an equally loud noise, oh, all bets are off. Yeah. So that, that idea of control is huge and it's just our body preparing itself for what's to come. Oh my gosh. That's so interesting. So, so, okay. And we have these kids and we have our own baggage, right? Which includes everything we were raised with message wise, as well as whether or not there's an audience as well as, you know, perceived audience or even just what will people think out in the world. So how do we and I know I'm, I'm thinking about listeners and, um, and myself, like how do we support a sensory preference without feeling like we're giving in to undesirable behavior? So like imagining this 15 year old in the classroom, and I actually, even as I'm saying this out loud, it's kind of obvious, but the 15 year old that you're talking about in the classroom who can't pay attention and is maybe even disruptive because it's so uncomfortable to be in that space. Mm -hmm. And we say, oh, just, we're going to put you in the front and we're going to let you chew gum, even though gum is not allowed in school. How, (laughs) and I can hear like the grownups that are watching this saying like, you are rewarding that child Mm -hmm. for undesirable behavior. Oh, heaven forbid, right? Which I don't think. That's not what I think. It's the other adults that are less enlightened. Uh, Right. (laughs) We are speaking to the collective them. (laughs) Yeah, them, those guys. (laughs) Here is how I like to see behavior. And this is Wendy's view of behavior according to everything she's read. So take it with a grain of salt. But I really like to think of it as a weed. The top of the weed is the behavior. So the child not paying attention in class and doing whatever they're doing, you know, talking to other kids, whatever. The stem would be what triggers it. Mm -hmm. So what's triggering it? Well, the noise, the things, whatever, getting attention, Mm -hmm. trying to get, trying to gain access to whatever, trying to escape something. Sure. All of those things can be the trigger, but what's the root? Well, the root is sensory. Got it. So sure. We can address the behavior, which is stop talking, do your work. We can punish them until they do their work or whatever. We can even address that call for attention, which is supposed to be this horrible thing. Heaven forbid we call for attention. Right, 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 right or heaven forbid we try to escape something, but you're really never addressing the root of it until you get down to sensory or skills that they're lacking. That gets into Ross Green, oh, right? Oh yeah, yeah, love but, it. <laughs> but those are the things that are really informing those behaviors. So the, 
the thing that we can do is definitely we tell our children, it's not okay for you to talk in class. Mm -hmm. You can control that. Mm -hmm. You can absolutely control that. And I know that you tend to talk more when your hearing cup is overflowing, Mm -hmm. when you're, when you're hearing too much noise or when there's too many things on the wall around you and you just can't pay attention to the teacher. Mm -hmm. So how can we help you to be able to focus on the teacher and not talk to your people around you? Would this help? Would this help? You know, what can we do? And we can even go into least restrictive environment. What's the least restrictive thing that we can do or least possible thing that we can do to support that sensory preference that's causing the behavior without telling your children it's okay to do what they do? Yeah. I, Does that make totally. sense? Does that answer your Yeah, completely. Okay. And I love the weed analogy and, and an analogy that my listeners have heard me talk about from positive discipline is the iceberg, right? So the yes. undesirable behaviors being what we can see and remembering that there's all sorts of stuff going on. And I think it's important to point out too that it's, uh, and I'm, I'm guessing you would agree with me, it's not always a sensory thing. It could be something different, but I mean, if you know, keeping with this example of the girl in the high school class and then moving her to the front and giving her some gum to chew and that doesn't solve the problem, then you know there's something else going on. And, you know, I think that having just one more um, layer, one more possibility for parents to be considering. And I, I mean, I was just in a conversation with a friend of mine whose eighth grade daughter is having a really hard time. And Um, and you know, labels have been thrown out for her, ADD, ODD. I can't wait for her to call her after this conversation and to, to encourage her to look into sensory stuff because, you know, especially as we move into the teenage years, it's so hard to sometimes to make sense of what we're seeing because our kids start to look more and more like full grown humans, And so we forget, I think, that they're still in this like developing skills place and the skills that they do have may not be consistently practiced, right? And so you had mentioned something about giving ourselves grace, right? But I think also giving our kids grace and just really staying in the mindset of, you know, let's, let's look at this from multiple lenses, one of which being this sensory lens. So I love that. I love that. And I really appreciate that you said, you know, it's not like, oh, it's okay that you were just a complete asshole to that person. You must just have an overflowing touch cup, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, no, both things exist. And how are you going to support yourself the next time you feel like that without being you know, disruptive, disrespectful, rude to the people around you, because guess what? Your cup is going to overflow again in the future, you know? So practicing what I'm hearing you say is really supporting them and one, recognizing what's happening when it's happening. And then two, looking for solutions. Definitely. And it's supporting the sensory and then looking for the skills that they're lacking once they have their sensory system supported. So it'd be like, you know, a lot of people think, oh, they just need to figure it out. It, well, that would be like throwing you into an airport and saying, you just need to learn to be calm. Yeah. So we're just going to keep throwing you into an airport and until you figure it out. Well, well, no, we're going to put you in an airport with all of the support that you need yeah. by supporting your sensory preferences and teaching you the skills. And then you can be the best version of yourself. Definitely. So what do you think about weighted blankets? 
Oh, I love weighted blankets. I sleep with one. You do. <laughs> yes. I do not think they're an end-all be-all thing. And I actually get so incredibly irritated when I see these amazing um, ads on Instagram and social media that talk about this swing to end all meltdowns or a weighted blanket to solve all your children's problems. No, it's one supportive piece that may or may not help depending on your child's preferences. So if you have a child with a large proprioceptive cup, they need that, that weight, right? Mm -hmm. But let's say your child also has a small tactile cup. They're not going to be going for that Mm -hmm. weighted blanket. Mm -hmm because it's going to affect their small tactile cup. So it doesn't work for every child. So it's not a solution to end all meltdowns or all behaviors. It can be there to support children who are benefited by it. And I assume by the question that you're not a huge fan. No, I'm actually, I'm just super curious. No, I'm not, I have no judgment. I'm actually thinking my 16 year old has in adolescence anyway, sleep has been, is an issue for her can Mm -hmm. be an issue for her. And so I was actually thinking about trying that out and seeing if it was helpful. Can I give you my, my opinion and what I tell my students to do before they invest in a $200 blanket? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Please. (laughs) So find out if your child will respond fairly well to it. What you can do is you can get a long tube sock and fill it with rice, just dried rice. Um, so they're getting, and you just tie off the top of it, right? Super cheap hack. And put that on their shoulders or on their chest when they're trying to fall asleep Mm -hmm. to see if that is calming to them. Now, for your 15-year-old, you might need a couple of them, but see if she responds well to the pressure and the weight or mimic that weight with something else, like maybe a really huge comforter or something like that. Um, Just something that has a lot of weight to it that you can put on her body to see if her body responds well to it with calmness. Because something, this is getting a little bit deeper, but... Proprioceptive stimulation can be either calming or alerting, depending on the child. So some people are really calmed by running, right? So maybe you have a child who's a cross-country runner who comes home and they're like, oh, that was amazing. Or another child who goes for a run and they're like, oh, I could run like 500 more miles. And it's alerting to them. Same thing with deep pressure. It can be calming or alerting. Okay. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah. I can't wait for the look on her face when I tell her. Put this on your body. We're just checking something out. <laughs> oh, what, you save yourself a couple hundred bucks. Is there anything else that you want to add here, Wendy? Did we cover it all? Was there anything that you wanted to land with listeners before we wrap up? I feel like this has been really good. I feel yeah. like we've covered a lot. And yeah, I feel like it'll give people a lot to really go with and see, you know, if they have a child who's who tends to be overactive or a picky eater or gets headaches a lot or overstimulated by the TV. It'll give them one more thing to look at Mm. that's natural, that doesn't involve medication that they can definitely do at home. Love it. So I always, if you listen, you listen to the podcast, so you know what's coming. But so in the context of all that we've talked about, Wendy, what does joyful courage mean to you? Oh, having the courage to see our children as our teachers and our leaders. And to me, that means just with my journey of parenting, I came into parenting thinking I was the end all be all and I was really awesome. (laughs) And it wasn't until I started listening to what my kids needed that I started feeling like, okay, now I'm stepping into being who they need me to be. And that took a lot of courage because it's not the Pinterest cute stuff Mm. that other people are doing. And, and that was, it took a lot of courage for me, but that's where I've truly found the most joy with my kids and that's my answer. Nice. So 
I didn't tap into this very much in your bio, but tell the listeners a little bit about what you do out in the world and where they can follow your work. So you can follow me on my podcast, which is the Exceptional Parenting Podcast. Yay, podcaster. I know, so fun. (laughs) Where we talk about being the parent to children who seem to be an exception to every rule. And anybody who has a kid like that, you get it. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can find me on my website at exceptionalparentingpodcast.com. And I'm Wendy Burtonall on Instagram, just because Exceptional Parenting Podcast was not a good name on Instagram. <clears throat> but in all of those places and through my courses and programs and membership, my goal is always to teach parents how to support their children through their sensory systems and through learning the skills that they're missing so that they can truly be the best versions of themselves and that parents can start to step into being the best versions of themselves too. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. This was so fun, Casey. Hey, yay. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. I so appreciate every single one of you and the ways that you show up for joyful courage. Thank you. And did you know there are ways that you can give back? I have a Patreon page, which is a place where you basically can donate one, five or $10 towards the sustainability of the program. And just as a way to say thank you, and you can check that out at patreon.com slash joyful courage. That's www.patreon.com slash joyful courage. I have some benefits and bonuses for people that are in my Patreon community. You can also let me know what you think by heading on over to Apple Podcasts, leaving me a five-star rating and a review. I love to read the reviews on air. So whenever I get a new review, I share it. And it really just helps me know what you love about this podcast. What is landing for you? What is useful? Like I mentioned at the top, I am active on Instagram and Facebook, both places you can find me at Joyful Courage. And please know that you're always welcome to join into my Facebook groups, Live in Love with Joyful Courage, as well as Joyful Courage for Parents of Teens. Yes, 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 yes. We're back in the weekly mode. So I'll be back next week. Can't wait to have you listen again. Until then, Take a deep breath, follow it into your body. Take a moment to notice what's currently alive for you. Imagine that you can take the balcony seat for a higher perspective of whatever is currently going on in your life and trust that everyone's going to be okay. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, 
you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.